0: Welcome to the open source way. This is our podcast series, SAP's podcast series, about the difference that open source can can be. be. And in each episode, we'll talk with experts about open source and why they do it the open source source way. way. I'm your host, Carsten Hohage, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Christoph Langer and Thomas Stufe about SAP machine or SAP machine. I don't know. They all tell us how to pronounce that. Hi, Christoph. Hi, Thomas. Nice to have you here.
1: Hi, hi, Karsten.
0: Hi, Karsten. Nice to be here. Okay, great. Uh, Let's hear who these guys are. Thomas joined SAP in 2000 to originally work in the AS400 porting group. He joined the VM team in 2004, and there worked on the VM container, SAP JVM, and now SAP machine. Thomas is a developer with focus on VM runtime, mostly the aspects of supportability, memory footprint, and generally, as he puts it, platform stuff. Christoph also used to work for the AS400 porting group, but as an IBM employee, working in a joint team with SAP colleagues back then. He switched to SAP and the VM team in 2014, starting there as a support engineer, but doing more and more development stuff over time. Uh, Christoph is now a development manager and takes care of the OpenJDK updates. So you both started SAP in the AS400 porting group. Is that where you met also? And maybe you'll quickly explain also what AS400 even is because under that name at least it's been out of the race for a bit, right?
1: When I joined SAP, uh, I think Thomas was was already there uh, for, I don't know, a few years. And I remember taking over uh, some code from him. So he invented some fancy uh, way to get the SAP installer running for AS400, so leveraging a Windows uh, machine when they took over this code. I think the thing is still known as AS400, um, but it was rebranded several times now. Um, so people know it as uh, OS400 the operating system or i5OS, IBM I, whatever. Yeah.
2: Well, the AS400 is an extremely interesting machine. It was, um, just imagine you have to, like a black box with a completely proprietary kernel, a very strange operating system, proprietary hardware, and you had an inbuilt baked into the hardware almost like a database. You know, so it came with a database. The idea was you put this into a basement and switch it on, install your AS400 custom written business software, and then you forget about it like for a decade because it just works. and. It was extremely reliable. Okay,
0: that was the part that I seem to remember about it was exactly that deeply built-in database. But that's back in the days. That's not actually what we're here to talk about. So, Christoph, how do you say it? SAP machine or SAP machine?
1: I think I I, uh, tend to use submachine, so some people say SAP machine. Um, I think the allegory sounds a bit like submarine, um, because it was invented as kind of a (laughs) submarine type of project, and then we called it, okay, submachine. Yeah, so what is submachine? Probably most of the people who listen to that one are into developing IT and so on. So, you know, Java um, is a programming language that runs on a virtual machine, not uh, directly natively um, is not compiled uh, for operating system and architecture jdk uh, provides this this runtime environment and the most known one is the open jdk is the like um, reference implementation the we call it upstream implementation and uh, sap machine submachine is uh, what we then deliver for sap our own build with yeah what we support for the customers with some minor add-ons and so on as we need it so, would that be comparable
0: to, say, I mean, where OpenJDK is a community project and SAP machine is basically a distribution, just like Red Hat is for Linux? Would that be comparable?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you can imagine this like um, the Linux kernel and like SUSE or whatever Red Hat, those vendors, they take the kernel sources and package their own uh, distribution of the operating system and um, with uh, OpenJDK and submachine the relation is similar so uh, the OpenJDK is really the upstream code where lots of people also contribute to so Oracle I mean maybe come later to that is the, the main maintainer of this but others are contributing and then uh, lots of vendors um, take this code and build it and provide their distributions and submachine is one of them.
0: I think I understand although I always have to play close attention when you say something about upstream, downstream. I originally studied geology and of course in the oil industry, upstream, downstream mean a little bit different things. But from oil back to Java, Thomas, how did it come to the JDK being an open project at all to SAP's involvement, et cetera, especially with Java being of all things Oracle these days?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, that's a long story, and in fact, our involvement with GVMs, with Java Virtual Machines, started way before we started to get interested in open source. Java is 25 years now, this year, so it was invented in 1996. And not invented, I think they started working in 91 or so, and uh, Java 1.0 was released in 96 and came, of course, with its own Java Virtual Machine. and The interesting thing is the OpenGDK nowadays has an unbroken chain of history starting at that first version. It's the same code base and also similar to distributions or maybe to BSD for instance. BSD has also a similar long history. You have a lot of distributions nowadays floating around which are actually direct descendants from that one root version. And there are, of course, different GDMs in the market and always have been, which were clean room implementations. And so that's interesting to know. Not everyone, um, not every GBM nowadays is is descended from that one version, for instance, the IBM G9 or so. I think uh, at least in the start, it was a complete different implementation. One interesting thing is that the OpenJDK code base is massive. I, uh, yesterday I, I measured and it's twelve million lines of code. So, so um, let that sink in a bit. And um, compared, uh, the half of this is maybe test code. So, but this still leaves you with six to, six to seven million lines of code. So, it's 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 a large beast. And um, when you compare this, for instance, with the Linux kernel, the Linux kernel is, I think, twenty something, maybe twenty one, twenty two, twenty three million lines of code, um, as of release five. So, we are like half a Linux kernel. Complexity-wise, GVM has a core, which is a, a library written in C++, it's a so-called hot, hotspot, uh, and, and that one is alone like one million lines of code. 96, they bring out Java 1.0, and in 2006, 2007, they open-sourced it, um, under, they put it under v 2 the code base, the, the, this original code base, and I wondered why. I think there are a number of reasons. One thing, I, th- I think they wanted to increase the adoption of, of Java because it was competing, especially at that time, with .NET languages. That's what I think maybe maybe the reasons were different. And this actually worked because adoption of, of Java increased by a lot. And, and I think Microsoft followed suit with open sourcing .NET, but much later, I think in 2014, they started to, to open source at least, I think, the compiler. So They now do the same thing, but but Java had a large head start in that time. And I think also a lot of the Java ecosystem was open source. And so they had kind of a pressure to open source the code base.
1: The good thing was, uh, they did it before Oracle bought them, right? (laughs) Oh, oh,
2: yes. Yeah, that's a big thing.
0: But so in the end, uh, the reason for open sourcing was, if they hadn't done that, they would have been surpassed by those who did open source
2: probably, right? maybe they would have this, suffered the same fate as adobe flash maybe not um, because adobe flash um, was bad for a whole range of other reasons but but it certainly helped it also increased cooperation on on beyond the sun level because suddenly you had a lot of um, companies taking part in the development and, and this this is certainly helpful um, and also, I think a lot of some developers do a lot of open source. And maybe this also helped helped a little bit with, with developer retention because they I think they, they started to lose people in that time. But all that is, is just in my head. Maybe it's all completely different. <laughs> so
0: how did SAP get into it then?
2: Like start of the O's in 2002, 2003, SAP got really interested in, in in having a, a, an alternative to ABAP, um, so ABAP was well established, as you know. I mean, it's 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 a very well done ecosystem, but it was very closed, and that felt old. And you had a lot of developers demanding a different language, and Java was very popular at that time. We were thinking about ways to do that, and one of the first ideas was to. To bring Java as a first-class language into the ABAP server, and that was extremely complicated because the ABAP server is also a strange beast, similar to the AS100, and so far as, for instance, it does its own context switching. Like you have, you have this idea of work processes. Yes, and a work process is tied to a CPU, one to one, and so you. Do your own task switching by by working on, on user data which are mapped into memory. And so if you if you then are done, you for instance you do database access and you switch over to a different work process. We call it roll-in, roll out. And that m- meant that all the user data could be mapped to different processes in the lifetime. And I ABAP didn't have a problem with that. I mean, that was not a problem. But but the GVM, doing this with a GVM, with the whole GVM data was very difficult. It was pretty much impossible with a with a with a hotspot. We call the solution SAP came up with was the so called VM container. We took a different VM, also from Sun. It's it's called the so called CVM, the compact JVM. Completely different implementation than the normal VM. It was written in C, and the, I think the target audience was the embedded folks. So so it was very small. It was completely written in C. It was very tight and had a very small footprint which was of course nice and we thought we we were able to do this I mean we could map the whole data the whole the text segment data segment everything and and all the dynamic data of, of the this little tiny GVm into shared memory and use it from different work processes
0: and that was that CVM was what you brought into the ABAP server
2: exactly. This was the, the the VM container, and um, Harald Cook was chef in that time, and he was very enthusiastic about this project. Um, we were successful with this, in a way, because we, we got it to work on all platforms, I think even including the S100. And so this was rolled out. And and if I remember correctly, the problem was that people started using the thing really as a, like a, I mean, it's more, suited to a model of stored procedure like things you know so where you do very limited things with 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 java they've started using it as a general purpose vm like with with lots of threads and we for instance had to emulate emulate threads um, with so-called green threads um
0: by the way uh, as you're just taking a break in the story there i have to be a smart ass for one second here. Uh, Harald Cook, although his last name is Cook, was not a cook, uh, beca- but he was in charge of this. You just said he was chef. Uh, and for, <laughs> all Engli- all, for all English natives, a chef is a cook, it's and good, Harald uh, yeah. Cook is also called a cook, but his last name is Cook, K-U-C-K, uh, and he
2: was not a cook. <laughs> Sorry, uh, go ahead. <laughs> The next step was that we shifted our focus to a different JVM because we saw we had a lot of problems.
1: There was also the J2EE infrastructure you want to leverage, right? So what what was integrated in in the ABAP server, I mean, there was, should kind of fit into this programming model where you could. Right, your procedures in Java now—not um, not only uh, ABAP, but, but then there was also this J2E um, technology out at that time, and I think SAP bought um, some some smaller company in QMI who had uh, um, developed a J2E server and tried to integrate this together with uh, ABAP, like uh, and, um, yeah, next to each other. Um, the double stack or uh, some solutions should base on on j2e on the e server and i think this is when when the hotspot based vm came into play yeah uh, that's why right.
0: thanks i wasn't sure but i was all the time thinking wasn't at that time like around the 2003 4s we were already doing double stack with a true full stack java server for the sap portal and things
2: right yes so so we had this j2e server and we needed a JVM. we could of course we we have a uh, SAP is specific is special in, in that we support a lot of platforms or we did support a lot of platforms. So so one of the or uh, things was that whatever the customer has sitting in his data center, we would run on it. So if the administrators like Windows, we we, we do Windows. If they were like a Unix shop, then then our stuff also runs on Unix. And this diminished nowadays, especially with cloud and so on. But it was a big thing in that time. And therefore, we needed a GVM on all platforms and needed to behave the same. And um, this was on also support cycles. So we have always had the problem of support cycles, uh, organizing the stack below us.
1: When the J2EE stack was rolled out, I mean, we were on all those platforms and had different VMs, Um, so for each vendor, like IBM brought their own J9 and their platforms, and then there was HP UX and so on, so um, platforms which were not provided by um, the, the Sun implementation of JDK um and it um, yeah made trouble in support um because yeah support i thought you know one vm goes to another platform and the thing behaves completely different and yeah so we thought okay it would be good if there's one implementation for all the platforms so.
0: yeah that was that was of course exactly the times i was referring to uh, before when single engines or single solutions or sap also dropped this uh, supporting 24 platforms or how many it was uh, back from the from the
2: 90s Mm-hmm, exactly, and so the result of those efforts was the so-called sub JVM, and that became the backbone of our j 2 e server. was able to run on all the platforms SAP uh, supported, and that sub JVM was not based on the CVM like the like the, the container, but it was based on the on the real the, the the standard Sun VM. So, and we started doing a long, long list of enhancement and fixes with the JVM. So. Um, we did it because SAP has many problems others don't have and we were able to to focus on that one we, we improved performance we definitely improved like the developer quality of life so, so we had a lot of quality of life improvements and our developers G so developers were very happy and a lot of monitoring a lot of supportability I think up to and including we developed our very own profiler with a, with, an, with an associated backend within the GVm and the profiler was, Very well done, technologically very, very good. Unfortunately, we never open sourced it and probably won't won't happen.
0: So when did we arrive uh, in today's state with the upstream-downstream relationship between OpenJDK and SAP's distribution?
1: I think there was in... 2007, right, when when the uh, OpenJDK project was announced. So at that time, we were completely heavily working uh, closed source um, based on the, the um, source code we got uh, from the Oracle license. Um, and I think also the, the, say the quality of the OpenJDK project started to evolve from then. So, I mean, in the beginning, it was just they dropped uh, more or less the, the sources. Um, you could see them. I mean, there was no GitHub yet. You could not just create pull requests. Um, it was difficult to get things in and so on. And, and also, I mean, we were focused on on our own um, closed source world, and then only started with some colleagues uh, who were the front runners here to try to to um, to look at the open source code base and also get into connection with, with Sun or then Oracle at the time, and yeah, to to establish all the community processes.
0: That was 2007, you said,
1: right? I think it's a number at the the time I have in my head. Um, It was definitely before before Oracle bought Sun, and that was in 2010, so I think it's not too wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And was it already called SAP Machine at the time, or...? No, the, at that time, we had uh, subjvm JVM, or I mean, we still have subjvm. This is our um, SAP internal distribution. So with that one also, um, we had some restriction that we could not um, distribute it as uh, free uh, software, not even as a standalone um, Java uh, virtual machine implementation, which could compete um, with, with the Oracle uh, JDK. Um, so we have a field of use restriction for the subjVM That means only run it uh, together with SAP software.
0: So basically, we have three different flavors if we want to look at the whole page. We have the OpenJDK, we have the SAP JVM if it's totally proprietary SAP purposes, and we have a SAP machine, our distribution of OpenJDK, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, and and then one thing that also confused me a little bit is uh, Thomas. You were you were now talking about these times as if you'd been with that all along. Was that part of being AS400 porting group, or have you both been with that all along, or what's your personal involvement in all that history?
2: I was joining in 2004 the the, the then VM Container team, and I think the, the the story is interesting because Harald Cook he came to us and. And he was proud and he, he did a presentation. The, the, the thing was everything you build, you add to the R3 kernel had to work on all platforms. so, so you couldn't do any any adding any any technologies which, which introduced platform restrictions. So he presented the VM container and um, then he asked us, you guys you guys can port this. so you, you don't make me any problems. And we were all excited. And I remember I was sitting in that presentation, in Harald's presentation, and I really thought this: is, I, I like this. I, I want to work there. So, and I, I about at that time, I got frustrated with the AS400 because as a system, it was very interesting. But as a system, it's like as closed as you can get. It's like the completely opposite of open source, and you you couldn't look at anything and and so i started using linux a lot and in linux you can you can look at everything you can look at the system libraries you can look at the kernel and and it's not even that hard and i like that
0: so you basically had this awakening event or phase from going from the closed stuff to the open stuff kind of sounds like it
2: it, it took a while honestly it took a while
1: but I think for you, I mean, it was the journey from the uh, SAP's VM history, let's say. So, I mean, I, I stayed within the um, ACE 400 team a bit longer. So I, I made uh, I saw all those things with the incoming J2E server, or the VM container, then the J2E server um, from the as 400. So in the beginning, we had an... IBM uh, proprietary A400 proprietary JVM then there was a switch to IBM J9 where IBM was rolling out the J9 technologies for all platforms so we switched the uh, technology under the, the SAP uh, J2E engine and then there was the sub JVM thing um, so then we did another migration project to migrate to the sub JVM and it was all at the time when there was not yet the open source open JDK so I mean I, I just came 2014 into to the SAP machine team well, at that time I mean it was the JVM team, so we had not yet founded it MACHINE. So Submachine MACHINE was uh, then, um, the, the first release we made was uh, Submachine MACHINE 10, so Java 10, so which is a bit closer to today.
0: But I guess the work on the SAP Java activities was not reserved to AS400 people, right? It kind of sounds like a topic where people came in from all directions probably, is that right?
1: So I think this is just coincidence that the two old AS400 guys of our team are here. We actually
2: do have four people from IBM weird IBM platform porting background. Like we, we Christopher and is for as four hundred people, and we have two people from this mainframe background. So um, I thought that um, porting on the as four hundred gives you gives you a perspective because um, um, you you start realizing how similar the nowadays operating systems are actually and and i think it makes you think about system design a lot and maybe maybe this is just very very conducive to jvm design
1: we also have in our team like uh, compiler experts or so we hired from from the university. Um, so they because I mean there was in the beginning one of the tasks when we when we are um, doing sub JVM and all these platforms. Um, I mean the JIT compiler is the thing which um, accelerates the uh, the Java code, and so we had to have something for all those platforms where um, Sun didn't have an implementation yet.
0: So in this whole game of uh, there is an Open JDK, uh, there is an SAP machine, and so on. I assume SAP is, has also become a substantial contributor to the Open JDK.
1: Everything we do, we try to um, do in the Open JDK first and see that it's that it's good uh, for all. Um, and this made us yeah, a quite large contributor. Yeah, Open JDK is still dominated by by Oracle. They have the biggest uh, engineering task force there. They do probably about 80% of of all the uh, changes there. Um, but there's there's a statistic uh, which they uh, publish every half a year when when a new Java release comes, and so in this statistic which counts the numbers of commits, and there we are always around about the third um, position. So there's also Red Hat. Uh, they are very engaged with with developers doing upstream changes, but then it's um, Um, mostly us some other folks like amazon and and other people the project was now switched to to github maybe that's the reason for that um there are also more independent contributors not from the um, two three four five companies which heavily engage in the jdk technology um but there are also here and there contributors from some libraries or i don't know and they do contributions and this also sums up um to the amount of what we did are
0: there any like famous or noteworthy contributions uh, by SAP that one could name here?
1: We have a few um, which, which we should name here. So I mean, in the beginning, it was our ports, uh, as I said, from the history we brought, um, where we did PowerPC, um, the AX port and also IBM System Z. Um, so this is mostly then uh, bringing the JIT compiler um, to work there. So we contributed this as a JEP 175. Then also um, something which was well received, which was maybe not a uh, um, huge amount of code, but still, I mean, it's quite nice. It's helpful in null pointer exceptions. So maybe that's something for the developers um, of Java. You would get uh, when something goes wrong, you uh, often get a null pointer exception. Some 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 reference is uh, zero and there's no object. Um, and yeah, you would not get um, like a place in the code, a line or whatever, which would help. Um, and so we added that very early also with, with sub-JVM already. And we brought this then into OpenJDK. <clears throat> and then there was uh, one large thing uh, um, which Thomas did. I mean, there was uh, the Elastic Metaspace, JEP387, um, where especially Thomas put a lot of uh, work in. I mean, there were also from experience in sap workloads so metaspace is a special memory segment um, of the jvm Um, not where the usual java objects are stored but some metadata and nobody really took uh, so much care of it it was complex and so yeah thomas um, digged into that and contributed really um, a revamping of all this thing
0: Okay, so we have the famous developer of Elastic Metaspace here in the podcast today. <laughs> no, I have no idea, of course, uh, how known or unknown uh, this is out there. Let's turn away from technology with that, uh, unless we dig deeper and deeper, and I understand less and less. Thomas, what's really SAP's business case uh, for doing SAP Machine? Does it pay off? Or like, why do we do
2: it open source, all that? I think there there are several answers to this and uh, the, depending also on, on who you ask and uh, these are actually two questions. The first question is why do we even bother doing a GVM in-house and, and, and at SAP? That's one question. And the other thing is why do we do, why FOSS? Yes, I mean also why do we contribute upstream? And the first question I think we also kind of answered when diving into the history. One thing is support. I mean, we SAP sells a lot of business software and we may be not the cheapest on the market, but what we always promise our customers like uh, support and also a very long support. So if they buy our stuff, then then we we help them protect that investment and um you have to guarantee this somehow. And so of course you could just like download a GDK from the from the internet and slap it on a CD or on a shipment and and call it a day, but that doesn't really work. And so you it's it's better if you own or at least know very well the, the stack below you. So and below a Java VM, below a Java program, you have the Java VM and then you have the operating system and libraries and so on. And for us it's of course not feasible to own all that stuff. But GVM is somewhat special because when you have like problems, support-worthy problems show up usually as cracks in the GVM because manifest as problems in the GVM, regardless of whether you have like a Java program error or whether the operating system is not doing what's supposed to do or even hardware problems. And GVM problems itself, of course. So usually um, it makes sense to, to have people who know this stuff and, and, and who can dive into this instead of relegating this to a vendor. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, of course, they already mentioned SAP-specific enhancements. So first, of course, very obviously, the platforms. No one was doing this for us, so we had to do this. And um, we wanted to, to have um, monitoring, profiling, supportability, and so on and so on. So that's why we do this. And I think this makes a lot of sense. And if you do this, I'm, I'm actually convinced that it. the moment you start to use a uh, um, infrastructure heavily and you rely on earning money with that, it pays to keep developers in-house who develop this stuff, if you can afford it and if you can keep the talent. And and why FOSS? I think long-term it's, a, it's just a lot cheaper because with the sub we were downstream from a from a very large code base. I mean, 12 million lines of code and and we are a very small team and we did a lot of stuff. So you are downstream and you start developing a lot of stuff and and the delta to upstream grows. You have a lot of patches accumulated. And what we saw was that with the sub-GVM, the technical debt grew and uh, grew, and the effort to merge upstream and downstream was extreme. Let's say you change something in a a vital part of the GVM, like the garbage collector, when you are done, it's fine, but at some point in time, you need to decide what you do now, you know? And, and, and so you keep this downstream patch forever and that downstream patch will cause costs forever because maybe someone changes upstream the garbage collector too. You always need to make sure that your stuff still works. It doesn't break upstream and upstream doesn't break your stuff. I think we ended up spending a large amount of our, of our productivity only on these problems. That's my personal opinion. And so therefore we started once the OpenGDK came out, we started contributing changes upstream, like larger changes. I mean, that is one of the reasons why we started to contribute platform ports. By doing this, we made sure that people upstream will somewhat garden and maintain this stuff, um, and at least keep it in mind when they change things. And um, we didn't have a submachine machine at the time, but we had the sub-JVM, and the changes we contributed to the OpenGDK Trickled down to us. We are the proprietary Sun JVM, and then back to us. So this reduced the maintenance effort of us um, tremendously, I think. And um, so, uh, for me, I think I think doing the submachine is almost like an afterthought. I mean, but it's very good for a lot a lot of reasons. But the most important thing is contributing upstream and and reducing your maintenance cost. Also, one thing, you can cooperate with a community. If you do things downstream and keep it downstream, you can talk to no one. I mean, we, the code base is large, and everyone of us is like an expert in one, two, three, four, five fields. If you contribute upstream, you have suddenly a lot, much larger pool of people you can talk to.
0: I would like to know now, mostly, maybe, Christoph, if you want to work for the benefit of SAP Machine or you want to contribute to the Open JDK. do you like... Get involved simply with the Open JDK, or would you go specifically into something for SAP machine directly, or where would you start?
1: Yeah, generally um, you should go for the Open JDK. I mean, if you come and figure out a small bug or so that you can see uh, in the source code or whatever, then the right place to address it uh, obviously is, is the Open JDK. And I mean, um, when. It's fixed there. We consume it um, in the submachine more or less automatically when this thing is released. What we could do um, if if somebody inside SAP or also from outside um, using the OpenJDK communication channels, um, we can try to to, um, foster this, to help those people um, to um, get to... You know i mean you have to know a bit about the process i mean nowadays okay it's it's uh, github i mean it's quite easy and many people know how to handle github and open pull requests so then there's something uh, sign and uh, contributors agreement and but then you're free to um to discuss and then push your change uh, once it's accepted so yeah and then that's really the way you should go um and for a submachine. um as we say, we do the, we do this this open source um, thing. We we um, want to do everything in the Open JDK. We only have very few um, diffs um, for for a submachine. When there's really something which is not uh, maybe appropriate for for the Open JDK general purpose, but we want to do something special for our special let's say supportability um, concerns or so, then we have little deviations here and there. But um, I think most things should be addressed, can be addressed in the Open JDK.
0: Okay, and I guess everyone will find the OpenJDK on GitHub easily. And apart from that, uh, we probably also have some helpful links coming with the podcast publication there. Now that we've addressed that, what would you like our listeners to take away as
2: uh, key points from this podcast? I keep it very quick. One thing, OpenGDK is a very good community to start open sourcing or, or they are very friendly, very professional, very welcoming to newcomers and, and technical wise it can get be very difficult to get into. But but I always liked this because because I don't know, if I compared it with the kernel before and we know that the kernel can be a lot more abrasive. You know, I mean you need a thick height there and, and open is nice. And the other thing is, GVM is really interesting technology. If you want to learn modern optimization techniques, it's a good place to start. And, and, and it's also awesome because if you do something in the GDK and the OpenGDK um, and something good, that stuff gets used literally on a billion devices all over the world. So, so this is a nice thought.
0: Wow. Okay. Christoph, anything to add to that? Anything more than being used by a billion users?
1: That's <laughs> a big motivation. So I think the JDK technology, um, I find it very interesting, and then really to to work on this open source project um, and w- w- what a lot of workloads all over the world are using. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, I think a good feeling if you made a change and you know, okay, now everybody is starting to adopt that. Yeah, so so that's definitely. Uh, take away. And the, and the community, I can also agree uh, with Thomas. I find it quite nice uh, in the OpenJDK, so the people there. I mean, sometimes um, maybe there are projects where it's easier to go and drive by and do a contribution uh, via GitHub. Um, but I mean, if you take it serious and if you have a thing, uh, you will always find uh, people who, who respond and and you will uh, they will try to sponsor you here. So, I mean, I, I can just agree with Thomas said.
0: So basically, if you are not afraid to be reviewed by thousands and if you want to be used by billions, right?
1: So I mean, actually, uh, those are not thousands. Sometimes we have problems. I mean, if if there are complex things, to just find one or two (laughs) reviewers who (laughs) really…
0: Okay, or if you are the one who is not afraid to review the complex things, then also join. Thanks. Let's just keep it at that for now. Thank you very much, Christoph. Thank you very much, Thomas, for being our guests today. Let's say bye-bye together. Bye-bye. 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 And thank you all for listening to The Open Source Way. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and don't miss the next ones. We publish every last Wednesday of the month. Thank you again, Thomas and Christoph, and bye-bye
1: for today.